Good morning again. For those of you having uh, internet issues, here's what you're supposed to interpret that as. This sermon is going to be awesome because the enemy of God does not want you to hear it. <laughs> uh, that's how we're going to take it uh, to, to mean for us. Um, I woke up really sore this morning uh, because my gym is closed, so uh, I have to um, do my uh, workouts at home with my wife. And by that I mean exercise, <laughs> that we are exercising together on her exercise app. And she just works out harder than I do, which is a revelation to me. It's pretty awesome, but I'm paying the price for it. I don't like to be in situations where I'm not, uh, I don't feel strong, I don't feel able, I don't feel capable. And that's what this whole, the last two weeks have been for me, is like, I'm working out at somebody else's pace, and I don't really know if I can, you know, I don't know if I'm producing anything, I don't know what, if what's happening is good, or if I'm just going to wake up sore tomorrow uh, with nothing to show for it. Uh, that's sort of how I feel. I don't know how you feel, I don't know what's going on with you, but um, we're going to continue just to uh, turn our eyes to Jesus, to trust in the one who does know what's going on, trust in the one who does know uh, what's going to come after this, and who's going to walk through it uh, with us every step of the way. We're going to continue this sermon series uh, called Meant to Be. We've been talking about um, this idea that there is, there is a me that I am meant to be. There, there is a person, an Adam Coulter, that I was created to be. And when I am living out that created purpose, the me that I'm meant to be, that's where I find peace and joy and purpose that, that make my life fulfilling and meaningful and, um, and keep me moving forward. But there are some obstacles built into human nature that uh, prevent me or want to prevent me from being the me that I'm meant to be. And my, my job is to be aware of those obstacles and to make sure that I know the way through, that I know the way through them. And Jesus is the way through. So we talked in the first week that we are meant to be content. Last week we talked about that we are meant to be patient. And what I hope that you're seeing here, and, and I'm going to lay it out hopefully a little more clearly today, is that the, the key to becoming the me that I'm meant to be is to live a Jesus-centered life. When I'm living with Jesus at the center, I am becoming content. When I live with Jesus at the center, I am becoming patient. And today, we're going to learn that when I live with Jesus at the center, I am becoming humble. I am meant to be humble. But there is a giant obstacle that just comes through in human nature that, that prevents me, that wants to stop me from being the humble me that I'm meant to be. And that obstacle, we call it pride. Pride is when we try to draw attention or point attention to ourselves that is meant to go specifically to God, but it's when we, we try to draw attention to ourselves. And, and you've, you've maybe have these experiences in your past where you suffer consequences for pride, where uh, you, you've heard that phrase, pride goes before the fall, right? That comes from the Bible. Um, and it's, it's a truism. It's something that you see happen in life sometimes. Um, I took that phrase very literally when I was in high school. I was in a marching band and um, before our marching band performances, we would do breathing exercises. And the breathing exercises were intended to expand our lung capacity, help us uh, play better, especially if you play a wind instrument. And uh, we were 
we were doing these exercises as a routine throughout our, se our season. And a couple of the guys in my section, my section was low brass. Where are my band geeks at? If you're a band geek, give me a little shout out on there. Um, we've got to stick together because no one else cares. So um, I was in the low brass section and we had this sort of inter-band rivalry about whose section was the best. And my section was always the best. We, we were the best uh, musicians. We had the coolest people in our section. And a couple guys in my section figured out that during these breathing exercises, um, if you did it a certain way and sort of held your breath, you got kind of a buzz. And I didn't know how to do it, but I thought it was really cool. It was getting a lot of positive attention in the band. Uh, everybody was kind of uh, just, you know, chattering about it. And so I thought I would try it. So we were at this competition, uh, warming up before, and we're standing on top of this hill in a big circle doing our breathing exercise. And I thought, I'm just going to go for it. So I, I, I breathe in and out and in and out really heavy, and then I hold my breath. I woke up at the bottom of that hill uh, with a circle of people standing around me laughing uh, because I had passed out and rolled down this hill holding my trombone. Uh, I busted my nose, so my, the front of my shirt was covered with blood. Uh, my trombone bell was smashed flat, uh, completely ruined, and um, everyone just laughed at me for the rest of the night, really the rest of my high school career. I was a freshman at that point, uh, so that was a pretty rough, rough way for me to start. But it, it came from me wanting to be cool, wanting people to look at me and, and think a certain way about me. And so I did something that was stupid and uh, ended up um, paying for it. If that always happened, if it always happened that when you acted with pride, you suffered a consequence, we would learn. We would learn not to do that. It would be like the learning not to touch a hot stove because you touch it and it burns you, so you just don't do that again. The problem is that doesn't always happen. You can act prideful, and, and it may feel like or seem like in that moment that nothing bad happens, but there is something happening when we act in pride. There's this relationship with God, this partnership with God that we are meant for, that we were created for this partnership to live in, in this covenant relationship where God does his thing and we do our thing and, it, and, and together we build his kingdom here on earth. And when we act in pride, that partnership is broken. We cannot partner with God. Um, when we're living out in pride. So we're going to look at a case in the Old Testament where that took place and then show uh, Jesus is going to show us how to actually work through this pride issue and come out on the other side with humility, okay? So Moses uh, was the leader of the people of Israel um, for uh, a long time. He, when the people were slaves in Egypt, for 400 years, God called Moses to lead the people out. And so through this series of miracles, the 10 plagues and all of this, he brings the people out of Egypt and they wander through the desert for 40 years until they can get to the promised land where God has, has set this land aside for them for hundreds of years. They've been waiting for this moment. So during this 40 years, Moses leads this people, some people estimate between 500,000 to 2 million people that Moses is leading through the desert. In Exodus chapter 17, we see uh, a story where the people don't have enough water to drink, so they go to Moses and complain. And, and they say crazy things like, it would have been better if we had stayed in slavery in Egypt than to come out here in the desert and die of thirst. And so Moses goes to God and he says, what do you want me to do? These people are thirsty and I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to fix it. So God says, all right, here's what you're going to do. I want you to um, stand before the people. I want you to take this staff that I gave you. You remember the staff? You know the staff that 
This is the one that turned into a snake and it, when you struck the Nile with it, the water turned to blood. And when you raise it over the Red Sea, the waters parted. That Take that staff and whack this rock. And when you whack the rock, water's gonna come out of it. And so Moses goes and stands in front of the people. He whacks the rock and water comes out. And everybody recognizes God is our provider. God is gonna take care of us. And Moses is sort of just God's representative. And this staff is sort of like God's symbol of power and authority and presence through Moses, okay? Fast forward a few years uh, to a different story in Numbers chapter 20. Very similar situation. There's no water. And the people begin to complain to Moses. And they say these crazy things again. Moses, it would have been better if we had died as slaves in Egypt than to come out here and um, die of thirst in the desert. So Moses goes to God and he's like, God, I don't know what to do with these people. They're complaining again. It's like they need water to live or something. I don't know. And so what do you want me to do? And so God says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and stand in front of the people and I want you to look at this rock and I want you to speak to it. And when you do, water's going to come out of it. Now this is different than what had happened in the previous situation. So Moses goes and uh, I, I kind of picture him having this little sidebar conversation, maybe with his brother, maybe with himself going, all right, hang on. Now, last time I got to strike the rock, that, that was kind of, that made me feel pretty powerful. Like you whack the rock and water comes out and that feels pretty good. But now I'm supposed to speak to the rock. And I don't know, this doesn't really make so much sense to me. So Moses actually goes and he stands in front of the people. And instead of speaking to the rock, he speaks to the people and he says, you complaining people, am, are we going to have to provide water from a rock for you again? And he, he puts himself in, in the place of God saying, I, you know, I'm part of, I am the one who brings water from the rock. Do I have to do this for you again? And then he looks at the rock and instead of speaking to the rock, he whacks it with his staff. Well, water comes out of the rock and uh, the people have what they need. But this time, instead of knowing that it is God who provides, the people, I wonder if they have this thing in their heads that where they think maybe Moses is the one with the power. Maybe Moses is the one who provides and takes care of us. And so God says to Moses after this, he says, listen, you've been faithful. You, you've, done, uh, you've done so much that I've told you to do. But in this moment, you did not honor me as holy. You, you, Put yourself in my place. And because of that, you are not going to enter the promised land. So Moses led the people through the desert for 40 years and did not get to enter the promised land because in this moment, he did not honor God as holy. He did not let God be the hero of the story. He made himself the hero of the story. And I think I look at that and I, I think probably many of us can look at that and relate to these moments when we've tried to make ourselves the center of the story. We don't always see ourselves as the hero. Sometimes we see ourselves as the victim. But we put ourselves right at the center of the story. And, and these are the two sides of pride, what, what we would call pride. There's pride and there's insecurity. And pride makes us the hero of the story and insecurity makes us the victim of the story. But either way, we're putting ourselves at the center of the story. And I think this is what Moses did. And I think this is what you and I are tempted to do. This is what our human nature pushes us to do constantly is put ourselves at the center of the story. But we were meant to be humble. Do you know how a compass works? Have you ever used a compass? We don't do this much anymore because we have GPS now. But compasses are the GPS before there was GPS. It's just a needle, uh, usually sitting in some kind of fluid. And the needle will point north. It always points north because 
uh, of the magnetic forces of the Earth and, and on the poles, and there's sciencey stuff there that I don't understand. But I know that a compass needle always points north. That's what it's that's what it's made for. That's what it's meant for, is to point north. But did you know that if you get another magnet around a compass, it won't work? If you put a magnet next to a compass, the needle will point to the magnet. It gets distracted. It, it loses sight of its purpose. It, it can't fulfill its purpose of pointing north because it's distracted by this magnet. And I think that's what pride is for us. Pride is this magnet. We were meant to point north. We were meant to point our lives, point to God. But pride is this magnet that throws us off and it causes us to want to point towards ourselves. This is what we were meant for. We were meant to be uh, arrows that point to God. Ow, broke my wrist. This is, this is how we're meant to live. Like, you look at me, and what you see in me should make you think of God. Like, my life should be a reflection of the character and nature of God. God's love, his grace, his justice, his mercy. When you look at me, you should see those characteristics of God, and it should make you think of God. My life is meant to point to God. But pride distracts me, and insecurity distracts me, and I point the arrow at myself, and I make myself either the hero or the victim of the story. This is not who I'm meant to be. And when I'm doing this, I cannot live in partnership with God, this partnership I was meant to live in where, where I am working with God to build his kingdom here on earth. I can't do that when the arrow's pointed at me. I'm supposed to live like this. So how do we overcome this? Do we just, can we just snap our fingers and suddenly pride and insecurity don't exist anymore and suddenly all of our actions point people to God? I think we need to learn from Jesus and learn that when we put Jesus at the center, we can actually become humble. Not overnight. It's not a, a, a button that you push or a switch that you flip. But we can become humble when we put Jesus at the center because Jesus was humble. In Matthew chapter 4, we read about Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. He went out to just have it out one-on-one -on -one with Satan. Satan, I don't think he really understood what God was up to through Jesus, but he knew that it was bad for him. And so he tries to disrupt what God is doing through Jesus. And one of the temptations of Jesus we find in Matthew chapter 4 is that Satan takes Jesus up to the highest point in the, of the temple. And he says, Jesus, here, here's what you should do. You should jump. Because the Bible says, Scripture says, that if you... If you're really the son of God, then nothing bad can happen to you. The angels will catch you before you hit the ground. Now, why was this a temptation for Jesus? Well, the temple was the centerpiece of the Jewish faith. Uh, all the Jews, not just in Jerusalem, but in the whole nation of Israel, and actually all the Jews that were scattered all over the Greek and Roman world at the time, had to come to the temple to offer their sacrifices. There was no other place to do it. So the temple was always crowded, always busy. It, it was like time, the Times Square of Jerusalem. And so for Jesus to jump from the tallest point in the temple and not get hurt, but to land softly on the wings of angels right there in front of thousands of people, do you know what that would have done for his reputation? He would have immediately gained a reputation as, as someone special in Israel. Wasn't that his purpose? Wasn't that part of what he, he came to do was to, to draw attention to himself so that people would know that he was the son of God? Seemed like a good idea. I can get the attention of thousands of people all at once by doing this one thing. But Jesus refuses. He quotes scripture back to Satan and he says, it's written. Don't, don't test God. We don't test God. And he avoided that opportunity to point the attention to himself. 
He lived this humility out throughout his ministry. But in one particular chapter, you just see it over and over again. In John chapter 8, you should read through this. I'm just going to quote some lines from John chapter 8, but you should read through this. Here are some of the things that Jesus says uh, in John chapter 8. I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. Let's get the arrow out. This is, this is better. It's always better with the arrow. I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak what the Father says. Uh, he, he says, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. I don't, I don't do what pleases me. I do what pleases him. He says, I do not seek my own glory. I, I don't do this. I don't point the arrow at me. He says, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is the Father who glorifies me. I would rather have God glorify me than people glorify me. Jesus had authority. He had power. But he laid it down. As Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus, Jesus let go of his position at God's side. And he came to earth not to point to himself, but to point people to God. His words and works were the symbol of God's authority like Moses' staff. They were the, the announcement of God's presence and power and authority in his life. What we struggle with is this idea of choosing the glory that comes from God over the glory that comes from people. I think we want people to look at us and think of us in a certain way. And sometimes we want people to see how much we suffer, how hard life is for us, how difficult things are. And, and we want their sympathy and we want their pity and we want, we want their empathy. And sometimes I think we want people to look at us and they, we want them to see our giftedness, our talents, that what the things that make us better maybe kind of help us stand out above others. We want them to see our intellect or our humor or our hard work. All, all of those are efforts to get people to look at us. But that effort breaks our partnership with God and it keeps us from participating in the things of the kingdom. There's this amazing couple of verses in John chapter 12. There, a lot of people, this is after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and a lot of people had decided, okay, this guy's the real deal. He's gotta be. He just raised a man from the dead right in front of hundreds of people. He's got to be the real deal. And so here's what it says in John 12, that many of the authorities, many of the religious leaders believed in him, but they refused to confess him publicly because they were afraid of the Pharisees. And here's, here's the line that gets me. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. They allowed the approval of others to be a magnet that distracted them from their purpose. Their purpose was to, to live lives that pointed to God, and they knew Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way that I live a life that points to God. And, and they lit this magnet of pride, and the approval of others distract them from doing what they were made to do. Does that happen in your life? Do you let what other people think of you distract you from living a life that points to God, living a life that reflects the nature and character of God? And we can do that through pride or insecurity. Uh, remember, those are two sides of the same coin. They're all about pointing the arrow at ourselves. So here's uh, what I, I want us to do. I'm going to go through just a few practical steps uh, here at the end that I think can help us um, put Jesus at the center so that we are becoming humble. This is who we're meant to be. So here's, here's some things, and, and maybe you write these down. Hopefully they'll show up on the screen here. Um, I'm, I'm going to go through uh, four things that we need to be slow to do and four things that we need to be quick to do. Okay? You ready? First of all, be slow to take offense. Be slow to take offense. 
Usually when I'm offended, I have made something about me that's probably not about me. Here's the amazing thing about being easily offended. We can see it in other people instantly. If you are on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, and you see people who get offended at things, and you can, you can easily look at that and go, that, well, that was never even about you. Why are you taking that so personally? But it's really hard to see in ourselves. But I think we do it too. I think it's easy for us to take offense quickly and make something about us that was never about us. And that, that is us pointing the arrow at ourselves and missing an opportunity to point people to God. So be slow to take offense. Be slow to take credit. Um, have you ever had someone take credit for your good idea? Maybe it was their joke or maybe it was their um, you know, decision on a project and you thought, that, that was my idea. I'm the one who said that first. And did you, did you try to let people know? Just, hey, after the meeting, let's have a little sidebar. Oh, by the way, uh, that was actually my idea. He got that from me. Or I told that joke last week and nobody left. And suddenly Justin tells it and now it's funny. I don't get it. That's, that's, we, we are eager to take credit, which is just us pointing the arrow at ourselves when we have an opportunity to point it to Jesus. Be slow to criticize others. Number three. Be slow to criticize others. Our criticism of others is often says more about who we are than, uh, than the faults of the other person that we're trying to point out. I have a, a story about this that I, I don't want to tell you, but I'm going to. So uh, I, t- I attended a church with, uh, with some of our staff in Kentucky a few years ago, and I filled out their connection card because uh, I just I like to see what happens when you fill out a connection card at another church. And sure enough, a week later or so, I got an email um, from their uh, connections pastor, whoever it was, I don't know. And it just said, hey, thanks for, you know, thanks for attending our church. Here's some ways that you can get involved. And um, he actually sent it to a bunch of people at once. There were 25 or 30 names on this email, this mass email. And I thought, I, he needs to improve this letter. Like, this, this letter's not very good. Like, there are some things he could do to, to, to make a, a better connection letter. Uh, pride, right? Pride is creeping in here. And so I composed this really, I thought it was very friendly and kind, and I said, hey, thanks so much for the, for the letter. Um, you know, I'm a pastor too. Do you mind if I make a few suggestions for how you could improve this piece of your communication? And so I just said, you know, maybe think about doing this instead of that and this instead of that and say this this way. And uh, again, thanks so much. We really enjoyed our visit at your church. And I sent it out and felt pretty good about it. I thought, I'm really going to help this guy. (laughs) About an hour later, I got an email from someone I didn't know, but they had copied my email to this other pastor in, in their response to me and said, who do you think you are? How dare you criticize this pastor when you were just a guest in his church? And I thought, how do they know what I did? And then I looked a little more closely and I had done the office fail of the century by hitting reply all to that email instead of just sending it to the pastor. So all these 25 or 30 people who were guests at this church get this email from me criticizing this pastor for the letter that he sent out to all of us. It was horrible. I felt so bad. So I immediately called the guy at the church and said, man, I'm so sorry. I really screwed up. And he was like, yeah, you did. (laughs) Uh, Thanks a lot, buddy. And so um, that, was, that was just me. I, if I were just slower to criticize others, if I would just take a step back when I want to offer criticism and think through, like, is this really going to be helpful or is this really me just trying to show that I'm, I'm smarter or I've got something figured out that you don't? 
So let me just encourage you from my own experience, be slow to criticize others. And fourth, be slow to complain. Complaints are almost always about me pointing the arrow at me. That's what complaining does. It points the arrow at me. It makes, it makes whatever is happening about me. And sometimes the complaints are legitimate. But it's still me pointing the arrow at me. Instead, if there's something wrong or broken in our organization or in our system or in our family or in our relationship, instead of complaining, my, my job is to reflect the nature and character of God by saying, how can I make it better? And complaining doesn't make anything better. So what can I contribute to make it better? This is where we talk about being contributors, not consumers. Consumers complain. Hey, you didn't get my order right. Contributors say, how can I make it better? And when people see that, it points them to God. So be slow to take offense, to take credit, to criticize and complain. Be quick to credit others. When you give somebody else credit, honest credit, not just flattery, but honest credit for a job well done, especially when that person is not around to hear it, you build them up in a special way. The best compliments I ever get, the best um, feedback I ever get is secondhand, is when somebody would come to me and say, hey, um, I ran into you know, a buddy at uh, the coffee shop and he said, uh, he said you gave a really good message last week. That's even better than if that had pers person had said it to me directly because you never know what people's motives are when they you know, try to build you up in that way. You, you don't know if it's flattery or not, but when it comes secondhand, um, it, it just means a lot. You know that they, they believed in what you did enough to tell someone else. And so do that for other people. Give secondhand compliments. Tell someone else how great your friend or your coworker or your neighbor is. And just wait and see if it gets back to them in a way that builds them up. So be quick to credit others. Be quick to compliment others. Look for opportunities to tell somebody that they're doing a good job. And it's even better if you can point out that what they're doing they're doing um, as a result of God's work in their life. If you can say, man, I can really see how God has gifted you to lead. I can really see how God has gifted you to serve. I can see how God has gifted you to make other people smile. When we give those kind of compliments, we're not only um, giving a compliment to other people, but we're also giving a compliment to God. We're saying God has made you into an amazing person. And I just love to see it. So, um, so yay God. Um, third, be quick to thank God. Scripture says, James chapter 1 says, every good and perfect gift is from above. Every good thing in your life is from God. And if we're quick to say thank you to God for the things that we have, then that helps us be really slow to give ourselves credit for the good things. So often we do that. We, you know, we look at our own lives and we think, man, I have worked so hard to get us here. I'm so proud of what I've done, what I've accomplished to get me and my family to this place when all along it has been God's goodness and grace in your life that has brought you there. So be quick to thank God, and finally, be quick to talk about Jesus. Be quick to talk about Jesus. Whenever you can work Jesus into the conversation, it is, it is a very clear sign that you are living a life that points to him and not to yourself. So be quick to talk about Jesus. Um, the way that we encourage people to do this here is just by saying, um, well, here's what I'm learning. Here's what God is teaching me right now. If somebody says, hey man, you know, I, you're just so generous. I just really appreciate how generous you are. Um, then a good response to that is say, you know, thank you. I'm, I appreciate you noticing that. You know what I'm, I'm learning is that everything that I have is a gift from God. And man, it's just, I just have more peace when I live really open-handed with my resources. That's what I'm learning right now. That's a way to point people to God, uh, even in an opportunity where they're trying to point 
attention to you. So be quick to talk about Jesus and his work in your life, what he's doing in your life, okay? So those are our steps um, for pushing through pride and insecurity into humility. When we're Jesus-centered, Jesus shows us that this is possible, and he invites us into this process of becoming humble. Because when we're humble, we get to partner with God in building his kingdom here on earth, and our reward for that is peace and joy and purpose. When we act out of pride or insecurity, pointing that arrow to ourselves, that partnership is broken, and our pathway to peace and joy and purpose is broken as well. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I don't want to live in opposition to God. I want his grace. I need his grace. So my prayer for you today and for me is that we will partner with Jesus. We'll put Jesus at the center. We'll partner with him in moving towards humility with our lives. So here's some questions that you can discuss at home, things that you can do uh, in, your, in your living room right now as soon as you turn this off. Uh, you can have this conversation at, at the lunch table this afternoon. Here's three questions, four questions. First, how was Moses prideful? What did Moses do that pointed the arrow at himself when it should have been pointed at God? Just talk about that. How was Jesus humble? What did Jesus do? And you can use the examples I gave from the message or, or uh, find your own examples uh, from your own uh, understanding of the Gospels. But how was Jesus humble? How did Jesus take opportunities to point people to God rather than to himself? Third, what are some ways that we might be prideful, that, that I might be, or, or that be us in our family, that we might want to point attention to ourselves. Are we complainers? Do we criticize other people a lot? What are some ways that we might be prideful? And then finally, what are some ways that we can move towards humility, that we can become more humble and point the arrow at Jesus? How can we do that? How can we help each other do that? Okay, so have those conversations at home with your family. Again, thanks so much for tuning in. I just want you to know our church family is continuing to try to be a resource and minister to people in and around our community. So if you have needs or you know people who have needs, please let us know. We're praying for quick healing for all those who are ill. We're praying for a quick end to the virus. And we're praying for God to be shown uh, as graceful and merciful and full of justice and truth uh, through this whole process. So... Let's move uh, to a more Jesus-centered life and be the humble people that we were meant to be. I'm going to pray for you, and we'll sign off. God, thank you so much for my time together with my church family today. Even though I can't see them, I know they're there. I love them. I love that we get to have this experience together. And my prayer, Father, is that you would use this time together to grow us up, to help us become the reflections of you that we are meant to be in the world that we live in. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So long.